Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. My co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this on Monday, July 6, 2020. And Aaron, you, you have some time-sensitive info to share with our listeners tonight, right? Well, being a Neil Gaiman nut and a Sandman fan overall, I'm eagerly anticipating the arrival of the Netflix series. There's no news on that. However, there's a little treat coming up before that. July 15th, Audible is going to be releasing the very first of the Sandman audio adaptations. And so Neil was tweeting a bit about the differences between the two. And so if we're talking about the upcoming Netflix series somewhere in the future, he says that's going to be set in present day. So we'll have more modern cell phones and technology upgrades and things of that nature. Whereas the Audible series that's coming out, they were going back to the original notes that he gave the artists for the Sandman comics 30 years ago. Yeah, so we're very excited to be going to the the source. Now, this is what got me super excited about this upcoming venture is that each episode is going to be one graphic novel or one uh, comic from the Sandman series. So I don't know exactly how many they're going to do, but he said it was 11 hours of drama on the way. And if you say it's a I don't I don't think they would need an hour per issue. Maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. Depends on how they go with it. Uh, but Neil Gaiman will be the narrator. So great choice there. And then we're going to take a quick listen because they uh, released a little teaser trailer and it's only audio, but it gives you a sense with the music and the way that uh, James McAvoy, as we all have known as Professor Xavier is is going to be jumping in as uh, the Lord of Dreams. So we're going to take a quick listen to that audio right now. I am a passenger. I am moving through your dreams. All your dreams. I got goosebumps on that one, though. I mean, he's moving through your dreams with that closing line, and you never knew. Oh, I got goosebumps going up my arms when that happened. Then to hear those little granules of sand. Yeah, that's a really elaborate soundscape they've oh, already assembled there. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I can't wait. It just sounds he's got a wonderful read. I don't know exactly quite what they're doing to his voice yet to make it mm-hmm. ethereal in that way. But uh, a lot of it is performance. It's coming straight from McAvoy, but there's just a little audio magic going on in the background. So I can't wait to listen to more of it and see what they do with Morpheus. Very cool. Very cool. And again, this is starting on Audible July July. 15th. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, definitely something worth chasing down. Now, to pivot back to our usual Marvel Us Disney turf, and and I don't want to keep beating the same drum. I don't want to keep doing COVID and how it's, you know, release dates have been pushed back. But at the same time, you have creative people who work in secrecy on these films. And if Black Widow had come out when it was supposed to come out back on May 1st, 
at this point, we'd be four weeks away from when this Kate Shoreland movie would be released digitally and just six weeks out from when we could go to Target and either buy the Ultra HD or the Blu-ray or the DVD. So right now, Black Widow would be so far along its food chain as an original theatrical release that at this point, Aaron, you and I would be talking, sharing the spoilers about this particular movie, which I actually <laughs> had an interview set up with Scarlett Johansson as a surprise. Just kind of like, the way that Drew had the Josh Gad thing set up for you by surprise. <sighs> I had this thing lined up months ago and COVID blew it. So Scarlett said, you know, I'll just put it on hold till the movie comes out. Before we launch into the subject matter of it, though, I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> I know yes. I'm so full yes. of it. I know I'm so full of it. People are going to expect you to deliver now. I'm, I'm just saying. So, so let me know. let me explain this right now, Jim. The people that mm. truly know me have never yep. expected me to deliver anything. So anyway, <laughs> okay. if uh, we do have indeed flare ups mm-hmm. of COVID happening across the country, California, Texas, Florida, places like that right now, yeah. is Disney going to ever... Uh, if it's not 100% of the country is okay to go into a theater, will they settle for half of the box office numbers available? Because I've got friends in Bismarck, North Dakota that, you know, it's a small, smaller population. They're free and clear. But is Disney going to settle for the 100,000 people that can get into the theater in that state right now? I wish I could tell you yes. But what what I've been told is that. New York at this point feels like it's flattened the curve. I mean, Governor Cuomo just today was on television talking about, you know, how hard they worked and what they've achieved. But on the other hand, L.A., you know, seems to be sliding backwards. And from what the folks at Disney have flat out told me that they cannot in, you know, again, they're a publicly held company. They, they have a responsibility to, you know, the, their investors, their individual shareholders and all that. And it's to open a film like Black Widow or Mulan and not be able to play in New York and L.A. is fiscally irresponsible. Yeah, but I also have this firm belief that if mm-hmm. you can't open your parks If Mm -hmm. you can't create a product or a thing, a trade or Mm -hmm. a service, you're going to lose hemorrhage money, which is what they're doing right now. And if you can't create new content for Disney Plus, eventually they're going to look in the bucket and go, what do we got? And they're going to have Mulan. Mm -hmm. They're going to have Black Widow and they're going to go screw it. Put it on Disney Plus because they need to fill a hole. And I don't think they can wait and and pause the MCU for like another. If if we have another national flare up, God forbid, and we put on everything on hold another six months, that puts Black Widow one full calendar year behind where it should be, which means that we've paused the MCU for almost Mm -hmm. two years. Because remember, we had a year gap between Spidey and Black Widow to begin with. So putting the MCU Mm -hmm. on pause for two full years is no bueno. Word has just come out of Australia that they are getting ready to resume production of uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Won't matter if there's not a theater to show it in. <laughs> well, no, that, that, that's that's true. That's true. And, it, and in fact, that does become the issue further on down the line. But the stories that are coming out of Australia, you know, to the effect of uh, how they're going to be able to resume filming, the cast has to fly in and then agree to self-isolate for two weeks. 
Only then can they come to the set and where they will then, you know, as production continues, there will be continual testing of the cast and crew to make sure that nobody's coming up hot, you know, uh, with COVID-19. You almost make it sound like the whole two-week quarantine is a bad thing. If I Mm -hmm. had the option to go into a locked room for two weeks and then resume with normal life, I would so do it because right now it's been several months of go to your room. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah if, if i had an option to go quarantine for two weeks and resume work and social life and get a daily test sign me up yeah well shang chi is not going to be the first film to resume production in fact what's kind of interesting is that james cameron recalled his cast for avatar two through five and they've been working, again, same deal. They f- all flew into New Zealand. They all isolated for two weeks. They then came to the set. They're testing everybody on a, not necessarily a steady schedule, but you know, just sort of doing it randomly to make sure they're getting a true sampling. But Disney is supposedly consulting with Cameron in regard to you know, what they've learned on the set of Avatar 2 through 5, and applying those lessons to Shang-Chi with the idea that the mistakes that James made or that the hiccups he encountered while resuming production of the, the avatars, we can avoid those mistakes with Legend of the Ten Rings. So it's got to be frustrating for the Bismarck, North Dakotas of the world, where if you look at you know what's going on in the South right now and the, the stories coming out of Florida or the like, COVID is, is ravaging down there where there's other parts of the country where it's, you know, it's just it's not having nearly the sort of impact. And, you know, folks in those parts of the country would love to resume their normal lives. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, go see a new movie, particularly Black Widow, which is supposed to have been out since May. And now, what is it, November 6th? We're 17 weeks out now, Aaron, from when that film is finally going to do debut in theaters. And we've got the director, Kate Shoreland, who's been doing interviews lately. And I don't think People have reminded Kate that the movie hasn't actually come out yet because she's talking like we've all seen the movie already. Oh, I love when they do that. Yeah. Just play along. Nod your head. Smile politely. Nod your head. Keep talking, sister. (laughs) No, that's it. Exactly. You know, in fact, in an interview just over the past week, talked about how in Endgame, fans were upset that Natasha didn't get a funeral. And, And by the way, if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, by this point. I'm sorry. The Titanic sunk. There we go. So she talks about how Natasha, when uh, Kate talked with her about this, said, or excuse me, with Scarlett, when she talked with her about this, said, look, Natasha wouldn't have wanted a funeral. She's too private. And anyway, people really don't know who Black Widow is. So what's interesting is supposedly about the Black Widow movie is it's going to be the ending that people wanted when they were watching Avengers Endgame, you know, that they're, they're, well, we're going to get you know, a funeral they, in this. No, she says, I think they're going to get her the fitting ending that the audience was looking for with Endgame. Note that she used the term her as in Natasha, but which doesn't necessarily mean that we've seen the last of the Black Widow. As long as you're willing to accept a name change for who the Black Widow is. That's it, exactly. But Kate talked about how Kevin Feige realized that when it came to a, a, a Black Widow movie, that the audience was going to expect an origin story, which is why we, of course, went in the opposite direction 
Now she starts to talk about Florence Pugh, the young woman that, that Scarlett works with in this film, and said, when we were prepping Black Widow, we didn't know how great Florence was, was going to be. I mean, we, we knew Florence was going to be great, but we just didn't know how great. And Scarlett was so gracious. She was like, oh, I'm handing Florence the baton. So this movie is going to propel another female storyline forward for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I would like to have not gone into the Black Widow knowing that. I mean, you already know that the character's dead. I do. What I what do. other finality can be given in a storyline that makes you go, oh, bummer, we're never going to see her again? Because, you know, she's dead. <sighs> You're not wrong. You also are then given mm. the chance to know that in, in namesake, mm -hmm. the spirit will carry on because there will be another mm -hmm. Black Widow. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the thing with with these back in my day. No, because uh, Cap <laughs> handed off his shield. He did. And he so did. we're going to get a new incarnation of some form of Cap carrying the shield, whether he's going to have falcon wings and the shield mm -hmm. at the same time. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, that'd be kind of cool. But and, and matter of fact, there is mm -hmm. a young black girl that is the new Iron Man, and I can't think of her name to save my life right now. But uh, yeah, we had a little more diversity into the Marvel comic universe. So I hope that they follow in, in that path and bring us a new iron character, not necessarily Iron Man, but uh, another iron person. Now, it's interesting you use the D word because, again, Anthony Mackie, who's out there doing publicity uh, out ahead of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And, and initially, he was kind of talking the way Disney, you know, wanted him to talk. You know, they was talking about, you know, Falcon and the Snowman, that the, they shot it exactly like, you know, a Falcon Marvel and movie. the Snowman, did you say? Sorry. I keep... <laughs> see, this, I do the same thing. thing. I, I do the same thing. I am thing. so hardwired. You know, for example, every time I go to say Disney Plus, I say Disney Springs. And for the life of me, every time Falcon and the Winter Soldier comes up, my brain diverts to the Sean Penn movie. And now you know, every the, the, time the, I go on Amazon, I see Falcon and the Snowman. I go, "Ooh, the new thing with Anthony Mackie's out. And then I get disappointed <laughs> to see it's Sean Penn. And I go, damn you, Jim Hill. You've yeah, ruined my brain. Timothy <laughs> Hutton. Dang. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's exactly I'm sorry. I got five brain cells, and most of them are tied up with breathing and blinking. But anyway, Anthony was talking about how when it came to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, they shot it just like a Marvel movie. You know, in fact, anyone who's a member of the crew who's previously worked on television, who's now in this Marvel production, is like, I've never worked on a TV show like this. It, you know, to Mackie's way of thinking it's just like a marvel movie instead of two hours long it's six to eight hours long and in a weird sort of way because he's working with the, the very same people that he's made all of these marvel movies with there's sort of an aspect of summer camp to it it's the same people coming together you know we do whatever they have to to make this movie work but then in our summer of black lives matter Anthony stepped up and shared perhaps some uncomfortable truths. This is Anthony talking about how Marvel really needs to do better when it comes to diversity. It's like, look, I've done seven Marvel movies where every producer, every director, every stunt person, every costume designer, every PA, every single person has been white. 
We've had one black producer. His name was Nate Moore. He produced Black Panther. But then when you do Black Panther, you got a black director, a black producer, a black costume person, a black stunt choreographer. And I'm like, that's more racist than anything else. Because if you can only hire the black people for the black movie, are you saying they're not good enough when you have a mostly white cast? And so Mackie then goes on to say, my big push with Marvel right now is to hire the best person for the job, even if it means we're going to get the best two women or we're going to get the best two men. I'm cool with those numbers for, for the next 10 years because it starts to build a, ne a new generation of filmmakers who can then put their resumes on their resumes that they help make a Marvel movie, which will hopefully get them other jobs. So you got to applaud that. Especially at a time when here's this high-profile project that Disney wants to be have in the spotlight and have everybody excited about and doesn't necessarily want to have its star saying something that perhaps could be construed as, as controversial. You got to applaud that he did that. And speaking of performers saying things that perhaps made people at the studio level a little uncomfortable, do you want to talk about what Ray Fisher had to say over the past week when it came to the Justice League movie? Yeah, and, and Joss Whedon, the, who directed it. And I'm just going to mm -hmm. paraphrase. He just said that mm -hmm. Joss was incredibly unprofessional towards mm -hmm. the actors and pretty much left it at that. He didn't get specific as to what was unprofessional. So it was really hard to pick up a stone and cast it at Joss without knowing anything specific about why he was a bad person in this instance. And then I believe it was a day or two later that Kevin Smith had then opened up about his secondhand hearing. And this is from someone that worked on the film in some capacity. Of, of the Justice League and then spoke to Kevin Smith directly and their comment about the situation was that Joss had come in and said, oh, this is uh, this is horrible. What is this? So we got to get rid of this. I don't know whose idea that was. That's crap. And uh, that that's got to change because this is just silliness. And when he was speaking critically about this project, he was saying it to people who had put their blood, sweat and tears into it for, you know, months, maybe years by this point. And it was not well received. So I, I think at the, the crux of this argument here is Joss a bad guy. And I kind of think in this instance, this one specific narrow view, uh, it wasn't it wasn't so great because Zack Snyder was not taken off the film for doing a poor job. He was removing himself because of a personal tragedy that took place within his family. Hmm. So it was, you know, if a studio were to call up Joss and say, our director is off the rails, cuckoo, we need a drastic change. Can you come in and fix it? Then you can come in a little bit holier than thou and go, oh, that's garbage. That's stupid. That's got to change. And the people that are on that project, you still shouldn't say it to them like that. But if you're going to make changes, to something that's already been shot, you're going to have to back up that decision with some logic. So you're going to have to explain yourself. The reason we need to recut this and have Superman with a mustache and CG it out later is because of this. And it better be a damn good reason. So yeah. the in, in this instance, you know, Zach was not removed for doing a poor job. Joss came in to help finish a project and he should have had a little bit more understanding of it's like someone going, hey, I'm not Picasso, but Picasso mm -hmm. left this painting unfinished. Now, I've learned a great deal about Picasso's style 
and I'm going to try and apply that style to this painting to make it look like a Picasso. And if that meant that he's in his blue period, I sure as hell ain't slapping pink on it. Okay. Yeah, obviously, from, from Ray's point of view, perhaps Joss didn't come into the situation with you know, the respect he should have necessarily shown. Oh, and by the way, I just want to say, I don't know a damn thing about what happened about anything. So I'm just, mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, I'm just saying if, if those things are true, if that if what Kevin mm-hmm. Smith heard and reiterated is the crux of the problem, then that's all I'm looking at. But I don't know anything about what really happened. So I'm not I'm not going to ca- I'm going to put my stone down and not cast it. OK, OK. All right. And let me just share a little that the studio did have some concerns about the movie. And in fact, one of the reasons they reached out to Jaws is they actually wanted Justice League to be more like the Avengers. Mm-hmm. They wanted more humor. They wanted more camaraderie. Zach, Zach had gone very, very dark. In fact, that's what's particularly interesting now about the the HBO Max, the re-edit that's coming. The Snyder Cut. Yeah. We're, now, we're Jim, before, finally- before we launch into it, if we were to quickly look at this through the Marvel lens... Yeah, this mm-hmm. would be uh, Sam Raimi being meddled with by Sony in Spider-Man three. And we get Venom shoehorned into a story that he didn't need to be in. Uh, right. You're not wrong. That's that's no. when they're, you're already on track to do a thing and they go, hey, 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 by the way, we just found out this character yeah. in the black suit's pretty cool. You want to put him in there? Yeah. And you're like, no, I'm doing this other thing. It's totally different uh yeah but we'd really like it if you put the character in the black suit in so if if uh zach was already on course because look tonally it's different if you look at the uh, even the color palette is like desaturated it's darker not saying it's better or worse just saying it's different marvel's brighter marvel's always had that dash of humor whenever there's a crisis they throw out a witty little quip and everyone giggles And in the DCU, it's a little bit darker and Martha lands like a a thud. Um, But still, it's it's just a darker thing and and a tone. Totally. It's always been different. And you shouldn't try halfway through. I mean, they've already done Man of Steel. They've done Dawn of Justice. Your three, four movies into your deal now is not the time to try and build new tracks while the train is in full motion. Again, you're not wrong, you know, but but again, you know, the irony here is I remember the stories in the time frame when Eisner had the chance to buy Marvel. And to Michael Eisner's point of view, the problem with Marvel is it was all these angsty teenagers, you know, it just which, again, he couldn't see fitting into the Disney bubble, you know, just sort of like. Eh. And, you know, I can remember an old episode of you and Len on Disney Dish talking about how it's like the teenagers that were just outside of the age range were the disinterested. <sighs> the, yep. the littlest ones were all about it. They imagined yep. everything. Mom and dad mm-hmm. were believers once again through the yep. magic view through their child's eyes and the teens mm-hmm. those angsty teenagers meh and and he and he can't see the bubble <laughs> no like he, that. he he couldn't he couldn't but people who were in the meeting with him at that time 
Eisner sat at the table and whined about the fact that, oh, geez, if we could only get our hands on the DC characters, because he looked at Superman and thought, that's a character who, I, you know, he works for Disney, you know, truth, justice in the American way. Mm-hmm. That's the guy, you know, and, and characters like the Flash. I mean, yeah, Batman, a little problematic, but right. he could see DC fitting the Disney side of the street. And the irony now is you look at how, you know, you know, here in the late days of the Iger regime, where, you know, Marvel is front and center and happily embraced, but... And, and again, I love your your train analogy about you can't be laying track and change direction after you get three films in to you know a series. But those were honestly the notes that Josh was getting. And in fact, evidently there was a, a very famous test screening during the summer where you know. I mean, and in fact, that's one of the reasons we got that god awful. Henry Cavill mustache stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you think about, you know, the tone of that scene, it was sort of like, let me just write you some Iron Man like lines here. And, you know, let's, let's, you know, I am, I am so. very, very interested to be able to see the Snyder cut quote unquote, uh, to be mm-hmm. able to compare it to what we were given versus what yep. that will mm-hmm. end up being. And I hope, I, I mean, I know that they gave him, I think it was around 20 million to finish it off and do whatever he mm-hmm. needed to. And it's already kind of been shot. They just got to do special effects and et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. good luck to him. I hope he is able to capture the, the vision that he had in his head and be able to put it to the screen. And I really hope that it appeases the uh, DC fans so mm-hmm. they don't have to chant for another cut of another movie again, you know, and and finally, once that baby's mm. put to bed, I really want to know where the DC universe goes from here because we've been waiting forever for Wonder Woman eighty four. That's on hold with all the other superhero or all the all the entertainment right now. So once that comes out, where does the DC universe go from here? I wonder if they're going to go lighter, darker. Uh, if Zach is still going to be involved with it, maybe that depends on how his cut of the new movie comes out. Uh, if they make more changes or less changes. Uh, very interested to see what happens all over there. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And speaking more, folks, we get back from this break. We'll have more stories this year. And we're back. But before we get started on some other stories, folks, Aaron has a, a short piece about a short form of entertainment. Quibi, the end. Da, 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 da. Are you watching it? Is anybody does anybody have it? Has anyone paid the five bucks or the ten bucks for the commercials or the no commercials to watch anything? And the reason I'm asking is I have seen a couple of commercials that looked interesting as as entertainment. And I go, mm-hmm. ooh, I want to see more of that. And then mm-hmm. it goes only on Quibi. And I go, aw. And completely disregard the even the idea that I have the technology in my hand to watch it right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I just treat it like, well, that's impossible to see because I can only watch it on a phone. And even though the phone's in my hand, I'm not going to watch anything on my phone for, you know, when I watch TV, I want to watch TV. The Quibi story is is a tough one to watch right now. I mean, they launched just as COVID-19 was coming down. And how many of us were trapped at home and basically been watching things on our large televisions at a time when here they were introducing this brand new form of entertainment that was deliberately designed 
to be consumed when we're out in the world in teeny tiny bits while, you know, while we're riding the subway or watch on our phone. Yeah. Or riding the bus or in a taxi or. Yeah. Just the exact wrong time for this to go out. And the Quibi team immediately began working on a version that could then be cast to your television. So you could watch it at home on, on your widescreen. But it's just, it it's gotten brutal, absolutely brutal press. In fact, there was just a story today about the founders of Quibi, Mae Whitman, formerly of eBay, and likewise, Jeffrey Katzenberg, of course, you know, former Disney, then, then DreamWorks and the like. And it was not a great interview. The person sort of zeroed in the fact that both May and Jeffrey are in their 60s. And the idea is Quibi is basically aimed at teens and folks in their early 20s, the early adopters. And to ask May, for example, well, you're launching this new entertainment, form of entertainment. What, what's been your favorite show over the last couple of years? And May wasn't ready for that question. And it took her a minute or so to come up with an answer. And it's like, well, I like Grant. And it's like, Grant, yes, that documentary series that's been running on the History Channel. It really doesn't have anything to do with Quibi, but it sort of made Jeffrey look ridiculously out of touch. Did he just say buzzwords like synergy, uh, forward <laughs> momentum? Oh, well, the, the, the story they tell about Jeffrey is that he's online. I mean, he, he gets email, but he doesn't read them on his phone or his computer. He has them printed up and delivered to him. And, and not only that, but the, all of his emails have to be folded in just a special way before they're handed off to him. And it's just sort of like, oh, no, this is, is, the, is he in a hotel, a dimly lit hotel running movies from the 50s with jars of his own urine lined up alongside the wall? Uh, oh, I, I, well, on the upside, that means Warren Beatty will be playing him in the movie, right? So, you know, that hey, there's that to look forward to. But again, COVID has impacted so many things right now. And, and, and for example, later this month, if things had gone according to plan, hundreds of thousands of us would be headed to San Diego for this year's Comic-Con. But of course, when we can't get together in a large building without infecting one another, they had to go virtual with it. So this we've got Comic-Con at home this year. And Marvel has announced that they're doing three panels. Now, mind you, none of them are a whole age spectacular. But we've got, uh, let's see, on Thursday the 23rd uh, at 1 o'clock Pacific time, we've got the Marvel 616 panel. And this is highlighting the documentary series that is going to run on the Disney Channel that explores the intersection of storytelling, pop culture, and fandom within the Marvel Universe. Then on the 23rd, Thursday the 23rd at 4 o'clock Pacific time, we've got Marvel HQ. They're trying to make this a fun thing to watch online. So, for example, there'll be an epic Lego battle plus a behind-the-scenes look at their new animated series for uh, the Disney Channel. Marvel's Spider-Man Maximum Venom. That's where everybody gets venomized, I think. Uh, like, there, there's a, a Venom Iron Man and a Venom mm -hmm. cap, and, you know, everybody gets a Venom version. I think you are correct, and I've been meaning to watch this when it runs on, uh, not on Disney+, Plus, the other one. Uh, Disney Springs? Uh, 
There we go. It runs on Disney Springs. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then, then on Friday the 24th, we have the Marvel Comics, the next best thing, which is going to bring us news on Empire and the X of Swords. And hey, the Green Goblin is coming back to Spider-Man. Uh, they've got Nick Lowe, Nick Spencer, and Mark Bagley working on that. Aaron, do you know a character, Werewolf by Night? I don't know if that would be J. Jonah Jameson's son, uh, oh, John oh, Jameson. Oh, yes. Yeah. I know you talked about him previously. Oh, yeah, he would cool. He would actually had a briefest of mentions in the Venom movie when the uh, shuttle crashes and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, it's uh, Jameson, uh, the pilot. That's like the quick reference to that being J. Jonah Jameson's son, who... I think originally, I think he, yeah, it was just the pilot and, and never mm -hmm. really had been infected by Venom. But uh, he ended up while in space. And mm -hmm. I don't know if it was like a Fantastic Four radiation deal or whatever, but he ended up becoming a werewolf because moon. Why not? You're in space. <laughs> what else you got to work with? The moon's right oh. there. Uh, werewolf. Yeah, that's okay. Jameson's werewolf, uh, and that's about uh, as good as the storytelling was back then. Together, just like we need an issue, and we need it in hours, guys. What do you got? They look, looked out, they saw the moon that day, and went, "Werewolf, we got a werewolf." Who? Jameson's yeah. kid. I didn't know he had a kid. He does now. His name's John. Wow. <laughs> this sounds like four o'clock on a Friday afternoon at Marvel. <laughs> we got martinis like at six, right, boys? Right, like the wind. <laughs> There we go. There we go. All right. Well, now Comic-Con at home is, is a direct result of COVID. And because we're all at home and we're all binging things, a lot of folks evidently have been sitting down and watching Infinity Wars and Endgame back to back. So again, five, almost five solid hours of superhero movie. And as a direct result, Marvel has been hit with a lot of folks who watch right to the end of Endgame going, no, wait a minute, Cap returned all of the Infinity Stones. So doesn't that mean that somebody, you know, they're now in place for somebody to go back and gather up again? Evidently, the folks at Marvel is like, well, we got to shut this down. We got to close this loophole. So now if you go to the Marvel comic social media page, they actually have a section that lists each of the individual Infinity Stones and what their properties are. But then when current status, it lists as destroyed. That, yes, Cap went and put them back to where they were, but... They end up getting destroyed at the end. After they've been returned, they have to go back through its original timeline and get destroyed. Is that is that the whole... I, 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 it should, I, it makes sense that way. That's how I would perceive it. Oh, and by the way, while, while you were chatting, I was completely wrong. John Jameson was uh, man wolf. Mm -hmm. So werewolf by night was uh, Jacob Russell. And it's so oh. it is a different character. Okay. But uh, we'll have to get boned up on, on Jacob's story. And I didn't realize there are so many werewolves running about the Marvel comic universe. You know, they have to stock up on a lot of air. What can I tell you? <laughs> and uh, speaking of folks who are, are you know, evidently spending a lot of time in front of their, their flat screen televisions, somebody got to chatting with Kevin Bacon and finally brought up his role in the Guardians movie. How Star-Lord talks about the most perfect movie of all time, and which, of course, is Footloose. 
The story that Kevin tells goes like this. There was the mention of Guardians, which I thought was pretty amazing. I didn't really know anything about it. And and I went and I sat in a movie theater and somebody said to me, have you seen this movie yet? And said, no, I'm going, but I haven't seen it yet. And I'm sitting in the theater and... Star-Lord does the whole story to Gamora about the people with the sticks up their butt, that they had to be taught how to dance. And Kevin's like, wow, that's that's some shout out. And then to double back on, you know, that bit from Infinity War, where finally we have the Star-Lord characters meet up with Spider-Man and Iron Man and Doctor Strange. And Drax, I guess, talks about the dance-off that saved the universe, which again starts the whole Footloose story going. And, you know, and I guess Star-Lord at one point goes, is it still the most awesome movie of all time? And Spidey was, you know, Peter Parker's like, it never was. But I bring up the Guardians movies because James Gunn, once again, you, you got to love the guy. I mean, you know, I mean, I, it still amazes me that given that he lost his job at Disney by all the stuff he put on Twitter, the fact that he's still on Twitter and still as active as he is kind of startles me. But I still I, I delight in what he shares. And I guess in that viewing party they did a few months back, he just sort of casually threw out, oh, yeah, there was that joke that Disney made me cut out of Guardians. And finally, somebody, you know, sort of cornered him on Twitter, and it's like, what was that joke? And says, oh, okay, well, it's it's from the part where Peter Quill is basically meeting uh, Drax for the first time, and the setup is, I come from a planet of outlaws, Billy the Kid, Bonnie and Clyde, John Stamos, Drax reply is, sounds like a place I would like to visit. And Quill says, cool. And the line that Disney then made James cut out of the movie was what Drax said next. Sounds like a place that I would like to visit. Peter Quill says, cool. And then Drax's response was, and kill many people there. <laughs> and it was like, oh, maybe we, we shouldn't have them say that. That probably will wasn't. I thought a- there was a uh, specific Disney joke somewhere. I mean, obviously we got, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Yeah. (laughs) So that was great. But I thought Mm -hmm. there was another very specific Disney reference that was cut. Hmm. And I don't, I don't think we ever got what it was. Or maybe it was this story just kind of mislabeled as, you know, Disney made us cut a joke, not Disney made Mm -hmm. us cut a Disney joke. I'm not sure, but, you know, maybe somebody else has heard, I mean, if we could face it, that the beauty of James is he overshares. So, you know, maybe we'll hear that story yet. But anyway, going from things that were cut to things were added. So did you see this story about WandaVision earlier in the week? No. What's going on with WandaVision? Are they filming? Are they not filming? Are they pushing it back, pushing it forward? What's going on? For lack of a better term, I would put this in the extra prizes category. Okay. You know, they're far enough along in production that if you go over to IMDb, you know, folks are listing that they worked on WandaVision as part of their credits. And there's a resume of a, a very reputable stunt person uh, who lists that he worked on WandaVision on episode 109, as in the ninth episode of season one. And the interesting thing, every other Disney Plus show They've done, you know, six episodes, maybe eight, but never nine or ten. So the notion is that, oh, so WandaVision is supersized, that we may get a a ninth or a tenth episode. 
I had seen that in Star Wars news that they wanted to fill up Disney Plus with the, after the Mandalorian drought mm-hmm. came pre-COVID. We had a mm-hmm. feast of Mandalorian and then, mm-hmm. you know, Christmas came and went and the Mandalorian was gone and we mm-hmm. had to wait a full year for more Mandalorian to sprout off of the Mandalorian tree so we could pick that fruit once again and eat it uh, like ravenous mm-hmm. pigs. And Disney said, we need more fruit trees. And they were going to have a, a like every quarter was going to be a different show about a different character in the star wars mm-hmm. universe and i immediately went boy i hope they do that with the marvel stuff and then i went oh wait a minute we got wandavision we got uh, falcon mm-hmm. and uh the snowman winter soldier uh and then we've got etc it's you know we got a she hulk coming oh, yeah. up we've yeah, got no, that's exactly a very I mean, long eat. list that seems like it's mm-hmm. already crowded so i i didn't expect them to actually give us more in the mcu it seemed already pretty full so mm-hmm. I'm happy to hear that they're going to give us another episode or two, whatever it is. I'll take it gladly. No, yeah, same thing here. But I so. also want the uh, the Mandalorian treatment of I want the special features, you know, that had an episode about the music and episode about the special effects, an episode about the stunts and the directors, and because that was yeah, good stuff. I have to admit, you know, the Disney Gallery Mandalorian. I almost liked the making of stuff more than I did the actual series because it was just was such a wonderful sort of pop of the hood and to see how people, how passionate they were and more to the point, the state of the art stuff they were doing. Mm -hmm. So, no, you're not wrong. I'd love to see, you know, a similar companion series for uh, WandaVision or for for that matter, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, not Falcon (laughs) and the Snowman. Could be Falcon and the Winter Snowman. (laughs) There we go. Okay. Yeah, let's get Olaf in there. Okay. You know, just a, that sounds like Well, you got miss. the connection. You just call up Josh on your old uh, Josh Mo phone. There's a snowman phone. I don't know. He's, it's not go. a bad phone. Okay. I don't know what kind of phone Josh gets. But uh, uh, I t- Drew has the, the oh, Josh Mo phone. Okay. We'll, we'll talk with him about that. And, right. and speaking of uh, Drew, you know, that, which brings me to the other podcast we do here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. We have, of course, uh, Disney Dish, which we do with Lentesta. Likewise, uh, Fine Tuning, which we do with Drew Taylor. I think I just was talking about Dan Z with uh, looking at Lucasfilm. And we just this week, uh, the, this past weekend, recorded a brand new Universal joint. Oh, and one other show that, that we really should mention, uh, Aaron. Yeah, well, I, I got a friend, uh, Christopher Ripley. He actually wrote into the Disney dish and, and Len read one of his questions in, in one of the previous shows. But he wanted a shout out from the Halloween half hour. And uh, it's one of the shows that I that I produce and we have a lot of fun with it. But he and, and uh, Boston White, Amanda, his co-host, they sent a shout out to the Marvelous Disney crew and said some to some of their listeners that they should check us out. So we're doing kind of like a hostage exchange where we're going to recommend that some of our listeners go check out the Halloween half hour uh, because they actually had an interview recently with Paul Dini, who uh, and he talks about the creation of Harley Quinn. So it's a it's a pretty interesting little bit. Now, here's the problem. I'm only allowing seven marvelous Disney listeners to go check out the Halloween half hour, because frankly, it's a better show. And I don't want to lose any listeners in the exchange. You have to come back. You have to promise to come back to us. But uh, they're a good time. <laughs> well, okay. No, for you, for you, lucky seven. You know, go go and enjoy, and and, and please circle back on the Paul Denny show. I've had 
been lucky enough to interview Paul a couple of times myself, and he not only a, a great writer but a great storyteller. So that I'm sure there's some wonderful material there. Yeah. Do we know if they do the social media thing or they, they do? They can be found online. You'll just have to figure out how. I'm sure that <laughs> Facebook, the Halloween half hour, Google is your friend on this one. You can search for Amanda, a.k.a. Boston White. She's 123 years old, but apparently she was bitten when she was only 27 or so. Christopher is a wonderfully nice guy and an author who has a book out. I'm sure he'll try and sell one to you if you meet him in person. Uh, he carries him in a little briefcase everywhere he goes but uh wonderful people a wonderful show so yeah go go enjoy one of their episodes <laughs> oh you're so good at this plug thing okay well I, on the other hand I, I let me stumble through this part okay you can find us you know the, the jim hill media podcast you're on twitter and instagram is at jim hill media and over on facebook at jim hill media news so and okay i've done what nancy told me there thanks for listening for this week and we'll be back with a new show soon